0: And the reality is I was about to trick this money off anyways. Let me just buy something. And then you're providing a house for a family that you start to know. And now you know these people and you're like, so now you know I have a I have a lot of rentals. Um and providing a house for somebody that is deserving of it and that you like is is way more gratifying than sitting here getting a big check and then, you know, doing whatever you want to do with it. Yeah.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Oglesby and Scott Show. this. This podcast holds the belief that business and investing are team sports. We drop gems to help you turn your capital into generational legacy. We're sharing with you the best stories of successful African American business owners and entrepreneurs. Yo, it's the Options Trading Workshop, presented by Tide Capital. Learn the fundamentals and advanced trading strategies that allow us the chance to earn $20,000 in side money in one year while working a job and running multiple businesses. That's right. Learn the what, the where, and the how of options trading in this exclusive webinar. To find out more details, hit us up on the link in the bio, on Instagram at Partner with Millie, or on Instagram at Todd.Capital, or just head over to gumroad.com forward slash Todd Capital. And now, here are your hosts Miss Flippin' in Heels, Roshana Scott, and Mr. Todd Millionaire himself, Charles Oglesby. Charles Oglesby.
2: So this is the Oglesby and Scott show. My name is Charles Oglesby. Austin is top millionaire with Miss Rashana Scott, the realtor of the year. What's going on, Rashana?
3: Hey, how's it going? <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing excited, good. Excited for um, today's interview, today's guest, a special friend. So I get to ask him um, all of the questions that I never thought to ask before. So um, Let's do it. we'll get to dive into it.
2: Yeah, so our guest today really needs no introduction, but uh, his name is Max Maxwell. He is the CEO of Venture Atlas, which is real estate investment firm in downtown winston-salem after getting his real estate license at the age of 21 he started at least 12 different businesses with varying degrees of success before building his multi-million dollar real estate company in a two year span by wholesaling and renovating properties. His Facebook group, Wholesaling Houses Elite, has over 100,000 members. His YouTube channel has surpassed 190,000 subscribers with 300 plus videos teaching people how to make money in real estate with little to no startup capital. In addition to real estate, Max is part owner of a talent agency, a software company, and is a private pilot. Max is a first generation American of Jamaican descent who grew up in Winston-Salem, graduating from West Forsyth High School in 2002. So, welcome to the show, man.
0: Man, thank you guys for having me. Ah, uh, this is gonna be dope. I think it's, I think it's gonna be different, but I like it.
3: <laughs> cool. Yeah, we'll go ahead and get started. So um, for those who are crazy enough to not know who you are, um, give us a little bit of um, backstory before, you know, the fame and fortune.
0: You know, um, yeah, so before, I guess before everything started, you know, I mean, first generation generation American, like you said, but, you know, I went to the military at 17 to 21. And then it just it, it just wasn't cut out for me. I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the people I met. And then, you know, I got my real estate license at 21, started working for another firm, and then and I already had went to school back to back where I can become a broker immediately, but I wanted to get my feet wet. And then um, after I did a year of regular buying and selling, I decided, you know what, let me let me go into the investment side that I want to do. And then I started doing uh, property management investments. And that's just simply managing properties for people that have them and, you know, finding properties for them to purchase and then rehab. And if you know anything about those times, that's 2004. Well, five is when I started my own firm, five, six, seven. And then, you know, the world fell apart. And so I went to corporate America and did all that stuff and then, you know, Decide I want to solve more problems, quit corporate America, and then came home and tried to start an app to finish that, to fix those problems, and they just didn't work. And so at the age of 30, like, you know, almost 31, I I had to move back home with my mom. And uh, that's when I was like, you know, down in the dump, out, depressed. You know, I left home at 17. I'm finally coming back at 31. It was like, oh, my God, this is crazy. And uh, so I came back and then um, I found I found out about wholesaling and I just became crazy obsessed with it online and, you know, went out and started taking action right away. And in three weeks, I had my first deal. And since then, I never really looked back. You know, um, real estate is a is a beautiful thing. No matter what you want to do with it, there's no there's no right or wrong way. As long as you, you know, kind of end up keeping some at the end.
3: Yeah, for sure, for sure. And um, before we get into that first deal, because. Um, I'm interested in knowing, I think I may have heard it before, but I'm definitely gonna ask you about it again. Um, even before 17, right? Like, did you grow up in the States? Did you grow up in a, in Jamaica? Like, what was life like growing up?
0: Yes, yeah, so I spent most of my time, my, my older brother and sister's sister, I have an older brother and an older sister, they were born in Jamaica. And then my parents moved to New York and they had me. And then, so I spent some time in Jamaica very young, but then my my mom had moved my sister and brother back from Jamaica to, not back, but to America. And then she had my younger brother and sister who were twins, um, but you know, we we grew up in New York um, and then I think it was around, I think it was 93. 93, we moved to North Carolina. So I don't know how old I was back then, not good at math. So 93, I moved, moved to North Carolina and my dad was working for the Pepsi Corporation, part of the the uh, corporate headquarters that had moved down, down to Winston-Salem. And so I've been in Winston-Salem from that time to 17. I always considered it my home and then obviously traveled the world with that. but you know, I, I spent, the, I called North Carolina my home. It's always been whether I lived in LA, you know, Istanbul, Turkey, whether I lived in Cheyenne, Wyoming, all these weird places that the military took me. Um, I've always considered, you know, uh, Winston-Salem to be my home. So I'm, I'm a Carolina dude. Winston-Salem has
2: a, a history of being a pretty prosperous area for African-Americans though, isn't that right?
0: Yeah, so the largest bus company in the country was actually from Winston-Salem. It's called the Safe Bus Company. Um, and North Carolina Winston in particularly was the home of tobacco. So it's the home of like RJR tobacco, where you get your camel cigarettes, where, where, um, the new ports are made or were made. And so the largest tobacco company in the world was based right in downtown. And that's the hub of our downtown was trains coming from the fields and bringing in, they would sell tobacco in there, but it's always been, it's always been like a, a, a cool, large black and fluent place. And obviously, an hour and a half up the road was, was Raleigh, which was the first Black Wall Street that they call. So we, we always had like a strong, um, you know, Black culture here and, and, and Af- people because a lot of people worked at RJR and got to retire with benefits and those type of things. So it's, it's a cool place to live. It's a small town. Our whole county has like 430 450,000 people. So it's a small town. But we're like an hour, twenty hour from Charlotte, and um, you know, thirty minutes from Greensboro, North Carolina, where you got the A and Aggies and all this stuff like that. So, it's it's a it's a cool place. I like it. You know, it's it's quiet enough. I can get into some mess if I want to, and then I'm close enough to some airports so I can just just leave and go get in the real mess. You know, hit Miami, Atlanta, or LA if you want to.
3: Good stuff. So um, diving into that first deal, like I know you said you um, found out about wholesaling and then you got obsessed. So mm-hmm. did you invest in any type of, um, you know, training, education, guru programs before that first deal? Or was that an obsession just, you know, all through YouTube University?
0: Yeah, mostly because I had no money. Rashawn, when I said I was broke, I, was, I had negative money. And so it was the first real uncomfortable time in my life where I felt like I was like 14, 15 with zero dollars. Because even at those ages, I was working on the weekends and all summer long. So I had some money, but here I am finding myself as a 30 year old grown man with no money. But I knew that wasn't my destiny. I knew it wasn't my thing. So when I found out about wholesaling, I mean, I went in. I found every podcast. And that's when I really got introduced to podcasts. I started finding every single podcast you, guys, you can find. I watched every YouTube video that was available. And I would just take bits and pieces from people that had information out there, Sean Terry, um, some of the other guys. And I started to mold it to myself and I just started taking imperfect action, right? I was like, yo, let me go try this because if my back is against the wall. What, what can I really lose? It said, you don't need no money, no credit. And I had neither one of those. So this sounded like it's for me. And then, you know, I went driving in my first neighborhood that I moved into in North Carolina and actually found the house on the same street that I grew up on and uh, just started making phone calls to the people, found the person and boom, there you go. My first check was like $14,000. And for me, that could have been, that might as well have been a million because you got, you had no money, right? you get zero money. And then, you know, so I got my, my first property and then my second property, I got 7,000 and I just knew it was real. And that's why I always talk about like you're one deal away. It's like there's there's one deal that can change your entire life, and that's what happened to me. You started out driving for
2: dollars. It sounds like
0: yeah, because I had so I don't I don't know if you've been there, but let me tell you my story. You know, I had negative dollars in my bank account, and before they really really cut your card off, you got to get like negative like two hundred and something, right? So if you go to the gas station and you charge your card, it's only gonna authorize for a dollar, right? So you you fill that car up, and I had like an old Volkswagen Jetta. And uh, I was driving that around and that's all, that was my last tank, that's it. You know, I could probably borrow a few dollars from my mom if I really needed it, but it was my last tank and pride wasn't really having me in that position where I'm asking my mom for money. I'm already sleeping in her house, eating her food and all that stuff like that. And so that driving for dollars, I found exactly what the podcast and the YouTube videos are talking about. is the tall grass, unkept bushes and stuff like that. And I said, okay, with my, I I know how to use geodata because I was a realtor. I know how to look, I know how to look this up and find out who owns it. My next thing was, how do I get a hold of these people? And um, I had access to some software online that can help me find these people. And I just started using it, using it. And like my second phone call, I got the owner on the phone and I'm sitting here offering 30, $40,000 on the house. And I ain't even I, this is my last gas tank. I couldn't even fill it up. But just following the process and just knowing that, yo, if I don't do this, what's going to happen? If I fail, I am i can't get any worse than I am right now. And so that imperfect action really took me to the next step. Yeah,
3: you was about to be walk, walking for now. Yeah, then. I was
0: going to be walking. I had, <laughs> I had nothing. And it was a, it was a crazy feeling to, to go from like, you know, you're making your own money. You're in the military. You leave home at 17. You're independent. You think you've grown, you know? And then to cap it off, you know, leaving your 20s to be 30, and then your life automatically is just like done. It's like, yo, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. So I had to make some, I had to make some moves. I had to make some shape.
3: Yeah, yeah. Um, the imperfect action, we talk about it all the time. Charles talks about it all the time. We actually had a conversation this morning about it. <laughs> but um, so getting started, getting going, you know, you're a couple deals in um, what are some of the things that you were just learning or messing up, like, as you were getting started with those first deals? And if you can recall, you know, like, and the reason why I ask is because and I'm sure you deal with this all the time with your students. Like so many people are afraid, right? Because, mm-hmm. well, what if this, what if that, what if this, what if that, right? And so obviously you don't know how it's going to play out until you're in it, right? So exactly. what are some things um, that you can recall?
0: You know, for me, number one was, am I making the right offer with the right amount? I knew it was worth more than I was offering. I didn't know how much it was going to cost to fix it up. But it was like, yo, know, if I can get this as low as I possibly can, somebody's got to be able to, to make And I, And I now that I know, I could have waited. Made way more money, but it wasn't even a point at that time. Like I said, the fourteen thousand dollar check that I got could have been a million. Um, but you know, so not knowing the offer to make my my contract, I just pulled from online, started piecing it together. It had misspellings in it. You know, I'm dyslexic, so spelling is not my forte at all. So I had bad spelling in my contract. Had no idea what I was going to offer. I had no attorney on my side. I didn't even know that. You know, I didn't know what I needed to have because when you're when you're strictly a real estate agent, you're dealing with you know, properties that fit inside this box. And that was kind of what I knew. I didn't know investing and I didn't know a lot of this other stuff. And so it really just kind of like, you just taking these actions. And as I was going along, I wasn't afraid to tell these professionals that I didn't know what I was doing. I'm calling, calling attorneys and saying, hey, look, this is my first investment property. I need help, what do I do this, what do I do that? And so I was asking people, hey, you know any attorneys, you know any this? Because at that point, they didn't have these big Facebook groups. You had you had other Facebook groups, but you couldn't, it was so bombarded, you couldn't go in there and ask any questions. And so as I was just moving along, I was just making mistakes, but almost like asking for help at the same time. And that's where I think a lot of people come off wrong in this business is they try to be like, yo, I'm a professional, this is my 30th home. No, the natural instinct for any human is like, yo, I wanna help somebody, people wanna be teachers. And so asking for help is actually a good thing. And you'd be surprised what a busy attorney will do for you if you come to them in a humbling way and say yo I need help
3: oh my god I'm so glad you just said that because I (laughs) literally told that to my team um, yesterday so my team's working through a deal Um, one of um, the new agents on my team and she's you know asking about this and that and I'm like listen don't be afraid to pick up the phone and call the attorney and, and you can say hey I'm just checking in you know do you need anything do you need anything from me right I'm new here so I'm just trying to make sure that things are moving along. Of course, they have me, but I'm telling them, right, to insert themselves. And, and I'm so glad you mentioned that because like you said, you do have to humble yourself. Like, I feel like, you know, wholesaling has a negative um, you know, this blanket in front of it for so many reasons, right? And I think one of them is is for that reason um, in itself. So many people are trying to seemingly come off as experts or know-it-alls and acting like it, it's, not, it's not their first deal when in reality, like it's okay. And like you said, there are people that will actually help guide you and, you know, will help you with, you know, what you don't know.
0: You know, even to the point where I've done, I was doing like, even in my deal, 15 or 20, I'm still calling homeowners and saying, hey, you know, uh, you know, I got a little money. This is going to be my first investment property. You know, I really don't know what to offer. I, you know, and you'd be surprised how the reverse psychology plays in them. They're like, yo, let me help you out. I ain't living in this house. You know, you probably gonna have to spend this to fix this and this to fix that versus coming off and asking these invasive questions. They gonna tell you what they think. And they say, you know, I don't, don't know if this is a real right buy. And now you find them selling you the property. Like, no, just take it. Tell me, trust me, if you buy, if you spend 20,000, do this and do, you know, so it becomes where people naturally want to help. I still teach kind of that strategy now is don't be a know-it-all because you actually don't. Even I don't know it all. And so the natural instinct for people to help is just going to show out and then people are going to really try to help you. Why do you think people take the opposite approach and try to <clears throat> kind of come off as though they got it all together? They're the professional. They've been doing this for, for years, even if they haven't. I think one, we just grow up in a society where, you know, you know, all the jobs you apply for ask for 10 years of experience and this and that. And then everybody that teaches say, you know, you need to know this and you know that, which is true. You do need to know, but there is a learning process you have to go through. And so you're not going to know. And it's okay to tell somebody, Hey, look, I've never flipped a house this big. I'm actually afraid to buy this from you. Can you tell me some things that you know that I'm going to have to spend money on to just kind of ease my mind to kind of make sure I'm going in this right path because I don't want to lose all my money on one house. And you'd be surprised somebody would perk up and say, okay, look, I, I, I know the basement's gonna need some this and the AC needs this and whatever it is with the process. So I think the, it's, it's a way that people teach and think that we need to know it all. And then it's just the way we grow up in society. We feel like we have to know it all. A lot of people are afraid to ask for help because people are not so willing to help a complete stranger until you turn the other cheek and say, look, I,
3: I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so like you said, you um, started, you know, wholesaling and from there, like you were just trying to make money, right? You were just trying to, you're chasing the next check. The, the next check. Exactly. So um, out of that, was there a love or passion or desire that grew for real estate or like, was it the team that came next? Was it just more wholesale deals? Was it then you were like, Hey, I should maybe start, you know, holding on to some of these properties. Like what did the transition kind Kinda, you know, look like after um, the
0: first, you know, a couple of wholesale deals. You are 100% right. I was chasing the check and I was like, yo, I got more money than I ever have in my life. But then you start to surround yourself and level up with the people you hang around. Uh, one is Mr. Robinson. He's he's uh, a well-known uh, investor locally uh, for sure. He owns a, owns a lot of property and he was kind of telling me, yo, what do you OK, great. You're doing good. You know, what do you own? And I was like, you know, you see that car out there? That's how, you know, you know, it's not, that's not impressive to those people. And then I, I really was uh, with one of my friends, nazar one day. And I was like, yo, let's link up. And is Charlotte, He showed me his new build that he's doing. I'm like, man, I ain't done no new builds. And then he's like, hey, look, come with me. I'm going to show you this uh, this fourplex that I bought. I'm, I'm renovating half of it, kicking some tennis out. But I was like, you own this? He was like, yeah, I own it straight up. I'm like, dang, I got all this money here. I'm taking all these crazy trips. And enjoy my life, your best life. And I ain't got nothing. And I, you I like, I still got to grind. I got to pump out ten deals every month, you know, in order to keep going. And I started to realize, like, yo, okay, let me start. Let me come up with a mm-hmm. strategy. And Mr. Robinson said, "Listen, listen, you need to come up with a plan. You need a business plan. I get you making money, but you need to be like, yo, every five houses I wholesale, I buy one. And so I came up with that for my business, whatever that looks like." and I started to just buy. But I was getting, as, as your mind starts to shift, you start to say, yo, I can buy this property right here that's worth 75 grand, 100 fixed up. I can buy it for 30,000. I gotta do some fixing. All right, you, I ain't even going on this trip this month. Let me buy this house. And then once you buy this house and you fix it up and you place your first tenant in it and you literally like for me, you know, stepping back and looking at this from the street and looking at the house and I'm like, yo, I own this joint. And I remember when I was younger, my uncle, uh, Uncle Jimmy in Kentucky, he used to take me to uh, I used to spend the summer with him and he he would drive around and he had you know lots of rental houses and he'd be like, yo, that's my house. That's my house. That's my house. And I'm like, oh, it clicked on me. I'm like, OK, I need to be doing the same thing. And the reality is I was about to trick this money off anyways. Let me just buy something. And then you're providing a house for a family that you start to know. And now, you know, these people and you're like, so now, you know, I have a, I have a lot of rentals um, and providing a house for somebody that is deserving of it and that you like is, is way more gratifying than sitting here getting a big check and then, you know, doing whatever you want to do with it. Yeah. It just these feels days bad.
2: About how much of your business is wholesaling and how much is it all the other stuff that you're doing? These it's days. drastically
0: changed, right? So um, I used to be a hundred percent wholesaling and probably up to two years ago, I was probably like 25, 30% wholesaling. The pandemic hit, um, I, over the years, I've been able to grow my brand, some software companies, and I've been, I've been able to see a lot more money than I would ever predict in my life. And then now my business is probably 30% wholesaling, um, probably 20% fix and flip and the rest I'm just buying them. And what's cool about it is I got my brother as my COO, you know, I have other friends and families that now they have money in the pot and they're like, yo, I want this. I'm like, cool, I won't go buy it anyways. And so instead of passing this house with this crazy equity on, we're like, we're keeping it. And, you know, Francis now is getting into rentals and he's buying rentals and stuff like that. And now it's like the, the team. Now we are almost doing this business to build generational wealth. We don't even really care about wholesaling. And a lot of my investors are like pissed because they're like, yo, you were the, you were the plug. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not the plug anymore. You know, I'm kind of like the plug. And so we just changed our business model as as I started to evolve as a man. I was like, yo, it's more responsible for me to keep these, especially the ones that are like less headache. I know it. I got a great deal. Listen, I don't pass on great deals anymore. I don't I don't care if I don't have the money. I would rather give it to my brother or, or friend that has it or borrow it. Borrow the money if I need to. I don't pass up on good deals anymore. I keep them.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, ladies, this is Rashana Scott. And are you looking for a community of women real estate investors? If so, I wanna take a quick second to share with you Infinity Membership. Sorry, fellas, but Infinity Membership is a women's only online community for newbie and experienced investors. Come let your hair down and join a non-judgment zone sisterhood where all of your questions about investing in real estate get answered. This is also an opportunity to learn from the best of the best. Other seasoned and successful women in the industry share their success tips often. Our live group sessions are twice a month and we support each other daily within our private Facebook group. Our sessions range from driving for dollars, to working with contractors, to out-of-state investing, raising private capital marketing your deals and so much more does this sound like something that you've been looking for well we would love to have you for more information visit us at bit.ly forward slash infinity membership again that's bit.ly forward slash infinity membership
2: so the software company can we talk about what it's like to build the software
0: company
3: and why? Yeah. So
0: a lot of people don't know. So when I was when I got started in late 2016 and I was a, I was a bondsman, I'm actually still a licensed bondsman in North Carolina. And so I had access to data that people didn't have for other reasons. And so I started working with this company that I was working with as a bondsman that we would check people's records and the indemnitors and the family members as these people get out of jail because people like to skip out on you. And so one thing that I don't think a lot of people know about as a bondsman like say somebody's bond is 50,000, okay? You're gonna charge them anywhere between three and 5,000 to get them out of jail. Percentage of that goes to the insurance company, you keep some of them, but you're on the hook for this 50,000. And some people don't wanna come go to court. And so now you, are, now you got somebody left, you got this 50,000, I mean, it could be a friend, somebody just like, yo, I'm not going to court for whatever reason you get a call from the sheriff so the the county like, yo, you owe us 50 grand. And so I got real good at finding people through the software that we had. And so that skill transferred over into real estate because it's the same thing. We find a house it has been empty for five, 10 years. Who owns it? No neighbors know. Nobody knows. There may be a record of where they at now. They live in Colorado. And so I started using that software that I had to skip trace these people, like how we would skip trace, you know, people that wouldn't go to court when we bond them out. And that's what a word is, skip tracing because when somebody doesn't go to court they're called a skip they skip court mm-hmm. and you got to trace them down and so that word comes from actually bondsman is that you got to find people and so i started using the software for real estate now at this time it's very expensive you're talking two dollars a name and so that's very expensive so i started working with this other company as a bondsman we started finding lower and lower rates and i started getting it for just dirt cheap and i started telling my friends yo i got this place where i skip trace these numbers for you and i started letting them use the software and then i got to a point where i woke up three o'clock in the morning i was like how many other people need this service and so like my friends would send me a list of five thousand names and in 20 minutes i get them back everything and i was not even charging them i was just giving what it cost me and i said i could turn this into a business here goes the entrepreneur side so three o'clock in the morning i build a website my first month, I make like $40,000 selling skip tracing. I said, oh my God. And then and then it got to a point where it was so big. And then I met Justin and Vince and they were working on this other product. And I started infusing my ideas into this product. And we created a company called Rail, which is ringless voicemail, text messaging. It's kind of like a mini CRM. And we just started solving problems in our own business because you got... Justin comes from the mortgage industry. They're all real estate investors. Vince comes from uh, financing. And so they had all these skills that I didn't have, but then I started to merge it and I was like, I have a community that we can use these products. And so we started building these products and they started to work. They started to, other people started to use them and it started to make getting deals easier. And you know, now, now bulk skip tracing, everybody has that. But I had the first legitimate website where people can like, you know, submit skip tracing and get results back in 24 hours or less. And so building those software companies, you know how we talk about seven streams of income, right? A lot of people think it's like, okay, I'm gonna do this today. I'm gonna go to trucking tomorrow. I'm gonna go to Toro. Like, no, it's all within real estate for me. All seven are within the same grasp of what I do in my daily. I just solve problems in the different fields. And so now I have X amount of streams of income, all this cash coming, I gotta spend it somewhere. Cause what I tell people all the time, I say, Look, real estate don't make you rich. It makes you wealthy. And so you got to know how to go out there and actually get these deals to build wealth. I can bring money from somewhere else. A lot of people say, yo, so many millionaires are, you know, X amount of millionaires created in real estate. It's because the equity they have in a property, the regular folks live in California, they may have a half a million dollars in equity, especially right now, how prices are crazy going on houses. So I was like, listen, I got, when I, I started taking that money and started moving it over, but building software companies is something I tried when before it's what got me broke in the first place. So it was cool to build a software company, cool to hire more employees. I don't even know how many employees we have on a daily now because we have a bunch in support. I would say we probably have 12 employees running uh, two of those companies over there. And so, but it, it wouldn't work without Justin Events for sure. Those guys are the, 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 my, my secret weapon.
3: And when you built the website, like you said, the first month where you made 40 grand, at that time, you were literally, you were still sending people's lists to the other company. And then you were just like upselling that.
0: Mm-hmm. I was getting it for three cents and I was <laughs> selling it for 25, 35 and 45 cents, depending on the size of your list. And so the margins were crazy. And so so I was doing this as I was making, as I was wholesaling. And so I, I don't think I ever told a story before. And so I was making, there was months I, I'd make $100,000 in just skip tracing. And so it just became so big that I'm glad Justin Events was able to take it over. So I, when I met Justin Events, I said, listen, I got this company over here is making dumb money. I got no time to deal with it. It was crazy. I was making just as much money in skip tracing as I was in wholesaling, but I didn't want anything to do with the software side of it. Cause I was like, yo, real estate's fun. I wanna keep doing this. And so with those guys' brains, they were able to take it over. I split the company up. We divided up. We own it all everything equally. And it's it's still today, it's growing, it's still re- reliable. And now one thing that's different about our skip tracing company is we actually own the data. We're not reselling someone else's data. We spent over close to a million dollars buying the data set of the entire country. We actually um, spent a lot of money back about two and a half years ago, so we weren't just reselling someone's data. And with Justin being a data scientist in real life, like through actual degree, not just giving himself that title, he was able to use this, uh, use the software and the data that we bought to, to to mold it into real estate. And you know, we have predictions on when somebody buys a car, how often they move, do they check their mailbox all types of things that most people don't have access to. And so we were able to build two successful companies outside of that. And, um, but now I enjoy building companies more than I enjoy real estate, believe it or not. Like I've kind of figured real estate out. I understand it, buy low and keep it, don't sell it. I don't want to
3: keep it. So I want to ask you about um I want to touch on partnerships quickly mm-hmm. because um, you mentioned, you know, meeting these guys and them, you know, you guys being able to um, you know, continue to grow, you know, a brand that you had already built, you know, that was doing well. Mm-hmm. And so um, I want to ask you about like just that turning point for you, right? Because like you say, you didn't necessarily want to do it, but you could have, right? You could have continued to do it, you could have figured it out, you could have kept it all to you. So um, but then also meeting them and then trusting the fact like, hey, these are good partners and this is what I see and all of that. Like, I want to break that down a little bit, because, again, you did not have to, to share the wealth, but you did. Yeah.
0: you. I know that I'm not that smart in 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 all fields of things. And so I, when you read books and you've studied some of the biggest business people, they surround themselves with people that are smarter than them. And those two guys are definitely smarter than me. And so for me, it was like, I can have all of this pie, which is great. The pie tastes good. I'm getting good money every month. Or if I truly want to build a company that I can exit one day, then I need to bring on other people who know how to get to that finish line. And so for me, I I was, it wasn't a pride thing for me. I took a shot in the dark. I met these guys one time and we started sharing so much information. Then it came a brotherhood. And it just grew into where we trust each other, and these guys handle millions of dollars, and I don't even see it. You know, that's the type of trust we have now. But it's cool to be able to just find people that are genuine, family people that will work with you and don't try to get over in you. And it's just like that's where you got to get that. But in order to find those people, you got to have this blind trust, yeah, because it doesn't. It's not like it comes with a stamp certificate saying this person's trustworthy. You got to go out there. You got to meet a lot of people. You got to trust a lot of people. You got to get disappointed a lot until you find the ones that are re- really ready to work with you. And you know, I I enjoy what I do, my portion of of the business. You know, growing the brand, going out speaking to people. Um, I'm the marketing side. You know, and I bring the ideas back too. But these guys are brainiacs. And for me, my my portion of it is I'm the face man. I'm the front man. I go out there. And I and I teach people how to do these, do do it. And then because I've never sold something just because somebody wanted to give me a lot of money, my audience trusts me and I won't talk about it or I won't try to promote a product unless I actually use it. And so it, it was nothing better than building our own software. You know, three black guys owning the software company in real estate. And so that is just different. And I, and I enjoy I enjoy every day of it.
3: Yeah. And in order to like you said, um, attract those people like you all you also have to be that person too right yeah. like in order to find those people you have to be you know that type of person like you said to attract people with in- integrity you know good intentions good work ethic um and all of that good stuff
0: i would i would hope i have all those characteristics
2: um 190 000 youtube subscribers how does the business of youtube work
0: so we're actually at like 240 now um and the business of YouTube is cool. I'm, I'm glad we're talking about these things. I, I really only get to talk about real estate all the time. So YouTube is an interesting thing. So when I started on YouTube, I think the reason why I boomed for a couple of reasons, and this is just me being very transparent. Um, I was a young black guy talking about real estate. And at this point, I think a lot of people hadn't seen that yet. I think they may have seen older gentlemen, they've definitely seen white guys do it. And that's who I watched to learn how to do it, like learn real estate but what happened was i think that the the our community was so hungry and um you know it's, it's kind of like the reason why the black panther movie was so successful you got to see superheroes that look like you and so people were looking at me and was like yo if this guy can do it i can do it too and i was so happy to be that 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 uh sh- that opportunity beacon for people where they could be like yo if this guy I can i can and then i wasn't stingy i wasn't stingy with the information and i had no intentions at the beginning that I who, who who ever wakes up like Yo, i'm gonna be a youtuber i know i didn't you know so it was just kind of like it fell into place and it happened and now you know we have a 5,000 square foot studio we have you know a podcast several podcast rooms hundred thousand dollars in equipment and i have three people that work full-time for me that you know shoot edit um i have a personal i have a senior vice president of communications who we recently hired where she takes care of all my external communications and brand messaging and stuff. So it really becomes a business in itself. And I used to tell people when I got to a certain point, real estate wholesaling is only one fifth of my income, one fifth. And so it started out as the top and it's completely almost went to the bottom as far as how much money I, I generate from my office from wholesaling that we get to keep. And so the brand, me personally, I think everybody needs to develop a brand. Rashana is developing a brand, she has her brand. You know, when you see Roshana and you hear Rashana's name, you know what she's synonymous with. Right. And so I think it's important because a brand is something that no one can ever take from you. And if you build these trusts with these people, then you can go out and do whatever you want as far as partnering and selling and creating a business. You know, I just I just bought a a historically back uh, meat market and. I'm going to build that meat market back up and I'm going to use my brand to sell steaks. And, you know, you just never you you don't think about that. You can do these things, but that's the road you can go down. You can do these things. And I and I I tell anybody that I meet I said, listen, not even if you don't want to be a YouTuber or, or out there like that, you can be you can build a brand within your city. You can be build a brand just in Chicago that, yo I'm the number one real estate person, period. And that brand could just be you can be a beacon of light in your in your city. So everybody needs to go out and build a brand. That doesn't mean you need to be like a guru, don't need to be selling things. You know, I'm just saying there's a brand associated with you, whether you like it or not, you might as well be intentional with it and build something nice.
1: Yes stuff. yes there. Todd Consultant presents the Vending Machine Business webinar. You can only have one job, but you can have as many vending machines as you want. This is your chance to see how we do business and how you can start your very own vending machine business. Avoid the mistakes we made and start winning. You'll be shown how we find, negotiate, buy, and manage our vending machine business, generating thousands per month, and how it has unlimited scale. To find out more details, hit us up on the link in the bio on Instagram at Partner with Millie or on Instagram at Todd.Capital or just head over to gumroad.com forward slash Todd Capital.
3: And so, obviously, from there, like I said, the YouTube started and then the community started mm-hmm. to grow. And then from there, um, I mean, what did, what did I guess the, the next phase of growth look like? Was it just continuing? Like wholesaling, like when you get to a certain level and I, I believe I'm there now, like when you're like, OK, I've gotten this success. Um, this is working. This is working. It's, it is like what's next. Right. What's next. And walk us through that.
0: You know, for me, I'll be honest, when when the uh, covid hit and I would just we were just fresh in a brand new eight thousand square foot office, we just spent like two hundred grand renovating and COVID hit, I was upset at first. And then for me, it was like, I need this break. And so if most people don't notice, I took an entire year off from really creating constant, constant con- uh, content and putting out things. And it was natural because it was like, everybody was like, okay, everything was stopped. Do I regret it as an entrepreneur? I regret it a little bit uh, because who knows where I would be if I kept going. But I enjoyed it because I got to relax. I didn't. I didn't have to put out a video every every other day. And it's that's that's hard to make videos that actually you know people want to watch. And so you know, for me now, my next step is my next personal goal. Now is I want to build a company that I can exit. You know, as an entrepreneur, it is it is our um it's our NBA championship. You know, it's like, yeah, you can, you can walk around as an entrepreneur amongst the circles. I'm sure we all walk around people that made a lot of money, but I think the golden NBA ring is like, did you win a championship? Did you did, was, did you build a company big enough or successful enough that some other company wanted to buy it? And I think if you can build that and that's my goal is to sell a company for X amount of dollars. And so I'm, I'm always jabbing. I'm learning every day. I'm, I'm peeking into other industries. I'm scaling what I'm doing. Um, I'm working on a dope TV show right now. Um, I never talked. This is the first time I talk about it. I'm working on a dope TV show right now and it has nothing to do with real estate. And um, I'm talking to some very interesting people that I have just like they gonna call me Mister Green Light basically, but you know it's it's been cool. You know we've done other things like Dave and I. We have an agency where we represent talent, and uh, we we sold a show to Snapchat for a lot of money, um, almost a million dollars. And you know it's just these things that we we do. We try to level up all the time. But for me, you know, I'm glad I took a break. Um, I'm coming back fired up as ever, and you know I'm really still trying to. You know, here, here's one thing I would say, Rashana, is that. And I'm not even like crazy rich compared to my peers, right? Like I don't have fifty million dollars. Hell, I don't have twenty million dollars. I might be worth, you know, a certain amount of money. But after you have a, after you have a certain amount of money, you start to realize this is going to sound so cliche for anybody sitting at home, like I haven't made it yet. It's not about the money. It's it's because at the end of the day, once you've done tricking off all the money you want to trick off, all the trips you can take all the things you can buy. And I'm not even really a flashy person in real life. I don't even, I don't, I wasn't raised like that. After a while, bro, you really only need like three, 400,000 to live like a crazy life. And so when you, when, you, when you look around and you've bought everything you've bought, you went most of the places you ever wanted to go, you're like, now you got to find a whole nother purpose to keep you driving. And for me is really like helping people. And that's why I gave away so much information for long. It felt so natural. I'm a great salesperson. I can get, I can sell you anything, but I'm uncomfortable selling people like information. Like most people don't even know I have a course. Most people don't even know, you know, the products that I own, I don't talk about them. And it's because I feel uncomfortable selling these things to people as they rise to the top. Now I know most people might hate that. Like, like anybody, like if I have business partners and like, yo, you got a brand, you can sell a million dollars in a day, I could. But what does that look like in the long run? You know what I mean? So I care so much about my brand and just not selling, selling, selling that. Yeah, I've missed out. I think at one point I had probably one of the biggest brands in wholesaling. I've I missed out on probably 5-10 million dollars, but I feel good about it cuz I have 5 or 10 million dollars. So what would those extra 5 or 10 million dollars have done for me if I if I kind of just sold everything? And and I wouldn't have been able to meet, you know, such genuine beautiful people if everything that I offered was behind a paywall, you know what I mean? I spent I spent 9 months straight on the road, flying to cities for free doing pop-ups when it was like not the cool thing to do. I know people do it now but it was like, I spent 250,000 miles in an airplane flying from city to city, Atlanta, Houston, LA, you know, Florida, you name it, I was popping up in cities and I would tell people, yo, meet me here at six o'clock and we would have 200 people show up and I would just take questions left and right from random folks about real estate. And I spend an hour or two taking pictures after and that became how I got to know people and how I got to meet some beautiful people, even people now that I even do business with. So. You know, I know you had a question that had nothing to do with that, but, you know, it was just like, you know, my, my, what's my growth path. I, I just want to help people. And I want to do it in a big way, because I think if we can, if we can make helping people contagious, I think that will combat a lot of our problems that we have in this world.
2: Um, given all your success and all the great things that you're doing, what is something that you struggle with on a daily basis?
0: A lot of people don't know I'm actually an introvert. <laughs> um, I'm actually, I'd rather be at home right now by myself, you know, and so that, so because because, um, and it's like, a it's a switch I could turn on. I actually like to go on vacation and do nothing and just be by myself. I like that type of stuff. But then I actually kind of like people too, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, so my circle is kind of small. I hang out with a very select amount of people, but I like my alone time. I like driving in my car by myself with no radio, no music, no nothing, and just thinking. And so I struggle with um, wanting to go out and network as much as I know I should be. And you know that's it's it's a it's a downfall for me personally. But you know um, I try to overcome it with other ways. But yeah, I'm a, I'm a real introvert in real life. Um,
2: in terms of your Jamaican heritage, mm. um, to what would you credit that with your
0: success and just the great things that you're doing? You know, my mom had two, sometimes three jobs. And growing up, I never felt broke or poor. I never came home to lights off. We always had food on the table. My mom took care of five kids by herself. And so I remember my mom used to sand drywall when she got home from her nursing job or her CNA job. And so, you know, I talk and I visit Jamaica a lot and I tell people this all the time and people, some people take this the wrong way. I say, um, America is is not the land of opportunity. It's the land of lazy ass people. And the reason is, is because in, in my country, in Jamaica where you, when you're in order to just live you have to work hard. And this is all types of countries. Um, just, to, just to baseline make it, you gotta work hard. And so when, when people who are foreigners that come to America, they realize that if they work hard, they're rewarded with it. And so they come over here and that's why you see, you know, three years, somebody owns a gas station and, and you say like, well, damn, he just got here. And so we have a different work ethic built into us. Now, this is not everybody, I'm just talking the majority. You know, so I think that seeing my mom work hard allows me to normalize working hard. And um, so it's not a foreign object to me. Like, I don't want to go home at five. Like, it's not a desire to me. I don't have no kids. I don't have no wife. why am I running home at five? And so um, I like to work. I like to build things. And and being able to do that, I think, is deeply rooted in just my Jamaican parents. You know, there's a joke going around. Jamaica's got eight jobs, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's that's kind of you know what I've seen as normal. So I like to hustle. I um, also saw that you were going to Ghana and looking at real estate.
2: And there's a misconception about Africa and real estate, but I've seen some really nice homes in Ghana. I've seen some
0: really nice homes in Nigeria. Um, what's what's it like over there? I'm actually going back Sunday. I want to be over there for two weeks. Um, so so Ghana is a beautiful country. Um, I when I did my DNA test, I'm like 43% Nigerian, right? And but Ghana is a beautiful, beautiful country, and um, it's the number two economy, I believe, in that continent. It's the number two safest country in that continent, and they're so welcoming of people back to their the motherland. And so um, I went over there. I met some great people. A guy named Gus who owns Cameo One uh, Realty Homes. And now development. Um, and so, you know, it's it's a beautiful place. They got luxury real estate popping. And me going to Ghana is kind of like when I went to Ghana, it was like me going to go watch a movie for the second time. And I kind of knew I know the path where they're going. I know the services and the things they will need. And so me being an entrepreneur, I'm able to interject myself and be like, hey, you need to fix this problem. This is coming down the road. Here's, you can build this business and I guarantee in five years, you're gonna, it's gonna be needed and you're gonna be pretty wealthy. And so, but you gotta look at, so um, the mortgage, the mortgage industry over there is only 12 years old. Luxury real estate is about 16 years old. Um, And so naturally with those things, they have a, a housing crisis. You know, everybody focused on the luxury real estate. And so now there's affordable housing crisis. And so now I'm going over there to partner and talk about how we can solve the problem for the school teachers. They have a teachers union. They need about fifty thousand houses, and so we're going over there to see how we can help facilitate, maybe build and develop projects over there. And um, so it just feels comfortable. You know, I got real comfortable being rich in America, and then I went back and I went to Africa, and I felt I felt like I need to be rich somewhere else. So who knows? Y'all y'all may be seeing me shooting YouTube videos. You know, very soon, permanently in Ghana. Oh, yeah, I'd um, be surprised.
3: Good stuff. Well, look, I'll just stay at your house while you're gone. Yeah, yeah. You
0: know, it's almost done. You you can stay there. <laughs> I won't put no furniture in, there, though. That's on you.
3: <laughs> You'll come back. I'm gonna have a whole a short-term rental operation running out of the villa. Oh, right.
0: Yeah, just take care of my horses. That's all.
3: <laughs> look, I'm put the horses on Turo. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: That'll be dope. Speaking of the house, I
2: always tell people that the smart move is to buy the land and build what's Mm -hmm. there. Um, Why did you decide to go that route? And like, what are the economics behind it?
0: Yeah. So it was more than I ever. Right. We've at this point, we've built like small three, two bedroom houses. Um, but I originally bought 17.4 acres and then I started buying the neighbor's lots next to it. So I have a total of almost 22 acres now. And um, I got a great deal on the land, that's what started it. It started as a great deal. Um, I paid under 70 grand for 14 something, 14 point, no, no, 17.4 acres. And then um, that's where the problem started. I thought I was going to go in there and start cutting down trees, and then the city and the state was like, "Nope, you need a uh, you need a retention and uh, all this stuff." And so I had to end up digging four big ponds, some of them as deep as eighteen feet. Um, and uh, so I spent a lot of money. I spent close to a hundred grand preparing the land just for the just for building, and then. I start, I, it's crazy. I had ordered my lumber package. Sorry, I got my quote on my lumber package in March and then of last year. And then September when I purchased it, it was up 83%, still a lot lower than it is now. And so the build cost me more. I spent a little over a million dollars so far. And so I, I built, I got the land prepped, bought the land, built a 10-stall a horse barn. Um, I have a new YouTube studio gym uh, in another building behind the house. Then my house is only four thousand square feet. People are like, yo, why you only build so much small a small house? I'm like, yo, four thousand is a lot on one level, you know. And so, and I don't have no daggone kids. What I need, what I need, a uh, six seven thousand square. I ain't Drake. I don't need that. <laughs> and so, you know, a house on twenty something acres um, with my with my own riding arena and my horses. I think that's good enough for me right now. Yeah.
3: So was the intention to look for the land and definitely buy, or was it a deal that came across the table and you're like, man, this is a great deal. Well, I might as well buy it. Any yeah,
0: so I, w- I was looking to start to build something for myself. I was like, you know, because this this whole time, a lot of people know I live in a studio. I've been living in a studio for six years. And so you're talking like, I can see my kitchen. I can, uh, I can go to the bathroom and probably cook eggs at the same time. And so here I am with millions of dollars living in a studio. And I was just like, real estate was really just like the game Monopoly for me. I did not care about where I lived at. I knew I had a lot of, I owned a lot of real estate and I was dealing with transactions every day. So it starts to become something you don't care like where you actually sleep your head at. And so um, I was like, you know, let let me go, let me build me a house. I didn't know what size house I wanted, I didn't know how big I wanted. And then this, this deal came across my desk and I said, buy it. And I bought the property and I said, okay, let's build. And so I never had the intentions to build something on this much acres. But the cool thing is I own 20, 20 something acres in the city. Um, and so my driveway is crazy. My driveway's in the city. My house sits in the county. And um, and so because it's so big, well, the house, hopefully they, they won't even pay city taxes on the house. But um, it was a deal where I'm now three miles from my airport when my plane sits. And I, I have the hangar. I own the whole 20, 27,000 square foot hangar. And it's like, okay, this proximity, everything's just working out. So everything just kind of fell into my lap. And I just did not fight it. I just let it roll. I just roll with the punches. So you bought the land for 70,
2: you had a hundred thousand in improvements, a million on the actual structure. What's it worth Trucks after, after it's Structure. structure. <laughs> yeah. What is it worth after it's completed though?
0: I want to say it's markets crazy right now, right? I have no idea, but I was hoping for like 1. 1.6, 1. 1.7 million. Okay. So you don't and, and just it. being conservative because there is no ranch, so it's a ranch. And there's no ranch that has a 10 stall horse barn, a riding arena, a 4000 square right. foot house. Right. A gym, you know. And
3: appraiser is going to pull up and be like, man, what is going on here? Can I spend a night?
0: Yeah. And so, and I just <laughs> bought, so my plan is to buy most of the houses on the street. So it's it's at a dead end, uh cul-de-sac, and I'm the only one down there. And so I actually just bought the house next door. I haven't closed on it yet. Bought the house next door and it's the only house that I could see. And so I I, I bought that. One. I'm in the process of buying it now. Closing hasn't happened yet. Awesome. And so that'll give me another acre and 1.2 acres or something
3: like that. That's going to be that's going to be the
0: guest house. That's where eventually uh, if I have kids, I want to have kids one day that the nanny can live. (laughs) So before
2: we wrap, I want to ask you about flying in the plane. What does that do for you? Because um, it seems like it's a hobby. It's kind of an expensive hobby, I'm sure. But uh, so why do you keep that up?
0: So it's really not an expensive hobby. And so uh, I have a nonprofit called First Influence, where it's around, it, it it deals with children where we love to be their first positive influence. And so what we do is we work with horses and aviation. And so what we do is we buy horses that have been mistreated, that are sick, and we get these horses back to health and we allow the kids to do it. Now, these horses, you know, they measure horses by hand, right? So these horses are 14, 15, 16 hands tall. And you can imagine a 10, 10 year old kid barely comes to the, the thigh of the horse and they have to rehabilitate this horse back to health and they create this bond with this horse. But what this does is it allows them to see that they could conquer things that are much bigger than them. It's just a small thing that you have to kind of program in their head and another thing is we take kids because my airport is literally behind the the north side of town they call like the hood and so that area that these kids that live around here have never flown in a plane never seen a plane definitely never seen no black pilot and so piling getting your license is not expensive it could cost you anywhere from eight to ten thousand dollars it all depends on your your ability so it's it's not expensive relatively right and you don't pay it all at once, you pay it as you go, you pay by the hour. Two, planes don't have to be expensive. My first plane was $27,000. They have 20 year financing on those planes. And so um, my plane now is a custom plane, it is like over 300,000, but w- once you have the plane, it's not that expensive to maintenance it. And so because of these misconceptions that it's only for the elite, like you know everybody thought golf was expensive. Golf's not expensive, you go buy some damn golf clubs and you paying like $40 a play. That's not expensive, but just because we heard it so many times we believed it. And so my thing is to get more African-American kids exposed to aviation, whether it's flying or being uh, mechanics on planes, and then also exposing them into you know the Western world riding horses and teaching them the true history of like cowboys and stuff like that. But uh, aviation is cool I, and it's, it's not just a hobby. Um, I use it to, I, I have some, I was at a rehab the other day in South Carolina. I jumped in my plane, what would have been a two hour drive I'm there in 20 something minutes. And so I could if I need to go to Atlanta, Atlanta is, I got to fly to the airport. I got to go to the airport, wait, wait commercially, you know, get on a plane for a 45 minute flight. No, I get in my plane hour and 20 there and I got hour and 20 back. Yeah. And so just being able to move, I can go to the lunch. I can go to lunch at Myrtle beach, right? Which would be a three, four hour drive. I can go to the lunch and come right back and you will never know i was going. And so the freedom to be able to do that is amazing. Plus eventually everybody's gonna be flying soon. If I live old enough, we all gonna be flying anything.
3: Mm-hmm. And then the time that you say too. Exactly.
0: Right. So we start to value our time way, way more. And so we can do that.
3: Good stuff, good stuff. Such a great interview. Um, so we got a couple of wrap questions and okay. then we are going to let you go. But man, so many, so many gems. Um, so our first question is, um, who is someone you look up to and why?
0: Uh, my favorite person is world is my mother, like like dead honest. And so I look up to her because of what I know she's had to go through to get to the position where she's at now. And so for her to be able to go through those things and then raise these kids that all turned out great, right? We turned out, I got some fabulous brothers and sisters. We all turned out great. And so, you know, that's the person I look up to every day, every day. And she's one of the main reasons why I work so hard. Um, What's your favorite business or real estate book? Business book. You know, so I, I didn't read my first book till I was like 30. And so, because I'm dyslexic. So I do listen to a lot of books now. Now I don't read with the purpose of entertainment. I read with the purpose of solving a problem that I have. So I've read so many books, like when I was growing my sales team, I went and read three or four sales team growing books. So I don't really think I have a favorite book but the book that sparked me off to start reading and to start to change my mindset was Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Um, I love Four Hour Work Week and I love The Richest Man in Babylon. And so those books are, are something that I've read through once and went through and and listened to portions that I think applied to what I needed for whenever it was.
3: Yes, sir. Um, the next question. <laughs> Freestyle. No, you know, I I I have the next question, but I literally was like, I think I got four hour work week. I need to go pick it up. <laughs> <laughs> that's where my brain went. Um, But I think that the key there too, um, that's really good. Is like you say, you don't read for entertainment. You're reading to solve a problem, and you're reading obviously for information and for education. But you also mentioned like you go back and you're specifically looking for what can help you right then there mm-hmm. in your life in your business with exactly what you're dealing with and the problem the 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 you know the answer to your problems are right there. So yeah. um, I think that I think that's a great key because I think so many people um, you know, look, they don't, we don't look past that or we don't go and seek for like specific information right to to solve our problems. So um, yeah. yeah, so that's good. So or if you have a
2: problem, you're out here asking just some random person for, for their opinion instead of going to an expert. So, yeah, I need, I need to get an expert opinion.
3: Yeah, good stuff. So um, what sets apart successful investors from those who fail, give up, or never get started.
0: Yeah. So people that one, they don't invest in their self. And so yeah, I was in Africa the other day and they were like, um, they start they kicked off the, the I, I did a pop-up in Africa by the way. I'm gonna put that on record. I'm gonna do some soldier boy stuff. I think I'm the first one to do a pop-up in Africa. <laughs> um, but anyways um she was like she said what is the best investment on earth and this guy said yourself and he was 100 percent right so you have to invest in yourself. The smartest people I know in the world, some of the richest people I know personally, invest in themselves all the time. And then two, um, people don't ask the right questions or they don't ask any questions. And so ask questions and don't be afraid to, to ask the right people questions until you get the answer that you're looking for. So invest in yourself and ask questions. I think that's a, that separates the difference between, you know, successful anything and people that are not successful. You know,
3: one of my favorite Greek philosophers, Socrates, Got exiled exile for asking questions huh. and ask, ask yeah what. well i mean no but the the thing was like you know people thought that he was an asshole like he was trying to act like a know-it-all and he was just like no i mean people you just really don't know what you don't know
0: that's it mm-hmm. that's it yeah what does what does wealth mean to you um wealth is something that for me that you can um what you do now will have a lasting impact for generations and so wealth is not only the monetary thing it could be um just being a good person that lasts a long time. And so you know, we talk about Martin Luther King. He didn't die a wealthy man, but he he was able to give wealth beyond the time of his death. And so um, wealth is that. Now what's important, the type of wealth that we need to be focused on as black people is the generational wealth that you can pass on, and it is the money. And so we need to start um, being able to trickle money down and not up. You know, I'm probably in my family, I'm the first millionaire. And money had to go back up to take care of things that, you know, that are deserving of being taken care of. But we're taking care of that way. We need to be when I pass away and leave something, I need my grandkids, grandkids to still be, you know, benefiting from what I did when I was here. And so a lot of us a lot of us have a very short time frame of what they're trying to invest for. And me personally, what I've learned through reading and my mentors is you need to have a hundred year investment plan, 100 years. And there's very few people that live to be 100 years old. But if your investment plan now is to last 100 years, you'll be able to build generational wealth. I mean, you want people to talk about when you're dead anyways, right? right.
3: Listen, that's legacy. That's how you stay alive. <laughs> exactly. You know, legends never die.
0: That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. Got to keep got to keep giving. People still eat off Michael Jackson's joints. Good
3: stuff. good stuff. Man, great interview. Great interview. I enjoyed it. Um, yeah, I learned some stuff about you that I did not know. We got a couple of exclusives on the interview. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, no, this is good. Thanks so much for sharing. Um, You know, we learned a lot and I'm sure the listeners appreciated um, that that other side of you. Right. Like that, that transparent side and just just seeing, you know, there's more behind the man on YouTube. So, um, yeah, we appreciate it.
0: I thank you. And and it's dope. You guys are doing live because it's. uh... It's actually hard to do a live show. And so that's cool that you guys are doing it. So Rashawn and Charles, I appreciate you guys having me on. I don't know why it took so long, but we're here. <laughs> I ain't mad. I ain't mad. Um, where can people find you? Where can they follow you? And where can they support what you have going on? Um, you know, anything you got, any anything? Any platform you love being on, just search my name, Max Maxwell, I'll pop up. I would enjoy a follow. Subscribe to my YouTube, search Max Maxwell. I love that. I'm trying to get to 350,000 subscribers by the end of the year and because I've been slacking um I haven't I haven't got there so if I can get like a hundred more subs let me see where I'm at right now I'm gonna put your people <laughs> to the test
3: yeah yeah I don't even know how many subs I have I'm at
0: 242,437 I need 242,537 by the end of the day and I'm sure your people can help me out <laughs> we're gonna make it happen I appreciate it. So uh,
2: we'll definitely have all his information inside of the show notes and um, all the blazers you can contact him that way. Thank you guys for tuning in. Make sure you like, like, and subscribe to the show. Leave us a rating and review. We like five-star reviews. My name is Charles Oglesby with Miss Rashaunna Scott, and we are signing off. What's going on, podcast listeners? This is your man, Donald The Voice, the official
1: editor and podcast producer. And listen, I just had to come in and tell you that we appreciate your listenership and I want to give you a special offer for listening to this podcast. If you have voiceover, podcast, or video editing needs, let's talk. You can go over to donaldthevoice.com forward slash contact and I'll be happy to talk with you about what you need and how I can serve you. You want to sound good and look good so that people can feel good and do good as a result of listening or watching your content. And I'm here to help you. You make that happen so let's talk go over to donaldthevoice.com forward slash contact and we'll talk have a good rest of the day evening morning whatever time it is and i'll talk to you soon